Hello, you guys. What is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday and you are not going to want to miss it. Before we jump in today, I wanted to remind you guys that this is a two-part episode and that we posted the first part of the episode last week. So make sure you go ahead and listen to that. That way you are all caught up for last week and this week. So this trial began on January 25th of 2023 in Walter Burrow, South Carolina. The lead prosecutor is Creighton Waters, and he stated in his opening statement that Alec Murdoch killed his family because his financial crimes were about to be exposed, so he needed a deterrent. While the defense is saying that these accusations about Alec murdering his family are simply just theories and speculations and are not truthful. All in all, between the financial crimes and the murder charges, Alec faces about 90 charges in total, and if he is convicted, and he faces 30 years to life without the possibility of parole. Now, something that was very unexpected in this trial was the fact that Alec actually made the decision to testify, something that not a lot of people were expecting, but it has given a lot more people insight as to what happened on the night of the murders. And a lot of people believe that this is actually working in his favor. I've seen multiple countless comments about how Alec is actually doing very well on the stand. There has been people who have said that this could actually really benefit him. People believe that he is definitely playing the part Part of the sympathetic husband and father who brutally lost two members of his family. Now, Alec took the stand for the first time on Thursday, February 23rd, and the first question that he was asked was simply if he murdered his wife and son, to which he said he did not. A direct quote is, quote, I did a lot of damage. I wrecked a lot of havoc. There's no question. But I would never hurt Maggie. I would never hurt Paul. If I was under the pressure that they are talking about here, I could promise you that I would hurt myself before I hurt one of them, without a doubt. Now, when it comes to June 7th and how the prosecution is really presenting all of this information, they are saying that there are two very different stories that are being told, and they're calling it the old story and the new story. And that is because Alec himself is telling a very different version of events now versus what he initially told police when this happened in June of 2021. So the prosecution is now calling what Alec is saying now the new story. Now, what is consistent in both stories, however, is that according to Alec, he said that himself, Maggie, and Paul were staying at the hunting property that they refer to as Moselle because it is on Moselle Road on the night of June 7th, 2021. It is a 1,770 acre property. And in Alec's initial story, the old story, he said that on the night of the 7th, that he was at the Moselle property with Paul and Maggie and that the three of them had had dinner together. After dinner, he claimed that Maggie went down to the kennels of the property, which is where they would keep the hunting dogs. And it was about a hundred yards away from the house. Alec claimed that he did not go down to the kennels but assumed that Paul went there shortly after Maggie because that is where both of their bodies were discovered. Alec said that while Maggie and Paul were at the kennels, he remained in the main house and he was sitting on the couch watching TV. 
He said that he took a little bit of a nap. He initially claimed that his nap was about an hour long before deciding to get up and go and visit his parents. Alex's mother is a dementia patient and his father, like I mentioned earlier, was terminally ill and dying of cancer. So Alec decided that he was going to go and visit his mother. Alec got into the car at about 9.07 p.m. and he texted Maggie's phone at 9.08, telling her that he was going to go visit his mom. Now, the next audio clip that I'm about to play you occurred on June 10th, so just three days after the murders, and it is an audio clip of Alec talking to the police, and he's discussing what his night looked like with Maggie and Paul leading up to him going to his mom's that night. And what did you do once once Maggie and Paul left? I stayed in the house. Okay. And I was watching TV, looking at my phone, and I actually fell asleep on the couch. Okay. And what time did you? You know, I don't know exactly what time I woke up, but when y'all get my phone, you know, I think one of the first things I did when I got up was call Maggie Mm -hmm. because I was going to my mom's. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know I texted her because I checked my phone. And what time did we say the text was, Jim? Like 9.06? Now, something that Alec made very, very clear in his statements to police initially is that he never went down to the kennels where Maggie and Paul's bodies ultimately ended up. He's given countless reasons why he said he didn't want to go down to the kennels. He said that he knew that he was going to be put to work if he was down there. There were always things that needed to be done and he wanted to remain in the main house. It was hot outside. He wanted to be with the air conditioning. But the one consistent thing that he said is that he never went down to the kennels that night. Alec said that once he returned from his mom's house at 10 p.m. that night, he walked into the main house and didn't find Paul or Maggie. He said he then decided to get back in his car and drive over to the kennels, which was about a one-minute drive, and that is where he found Paul and Maggie's bodies. Now, again, the biggest takeaway point here is the fact that Alec told police that he was not at the kennels that night. However, this was not the case. When police recovered Paul's cell phone, they actually found a Snapchat video that was saved to Paul's phone that was taken several minutes before the murders at around 8.44, 8.45 p.m. Now, the video was taken at the kennels, and in the background of the video, you can hear Alec's voice. Now, of course, that wouldn't be possible if Alec never actually was at the kennels like he said he was, However, on the stand this past week, Alec had admitted that he was down at the kennels on the night of the murders and that he lied to investigators. So he's basically placing himself 
at the scene of the crime just several seconds before these murders occurred. And when Alec has been asked why he lied to authorities, he has said that he was scared of law enforcement and also blamed his painkiller addiction. I'm not saying that that's what made me lie. I'm saying this whole set of circumstances caused me to be in a state where I had paranoid thoughts. Now, Alec lying about this detrimental part in this case has been something that the prosecution has honed in on big time. They have constantly been pointing back to the fact that Alec lied about the fact that he was at the kennels when he said that he wasn't, which again, places him at the murder scene just about 65 seconds before these murders occurred. And a lot of people have questioned that Alec claimed that he was so worried and like scared and afraid of law enforcement when all of Hampton County knows that the Murdochs basically are the law. I mentioned that in the beginning. They have so much power and Alec would never be one to be afraid of law enforcement. Now, as you can tell from the audio clip that you just listened to, Alec did refer to his opioid addiction. Now, that is also something that has been heavily focused on in this trial. Alec has gone into detail about his 20-year addiction that he has had to opioids. He has gone to rehab on three different occasions, however, ultimately would always fall back into the cycle with painkillers. Alec said that at the time of the murders, he was still on opioids, and that is part of the reason he lied to police about being down at the kennels, because he had paranoid thinking. Alec blames his paranoid thinking as a result of being on the painkillers, and Alec said on the stand that, quote, on June 7th, I wasn't thinking clearly. I don't think I was capable of reason, and I lied about being out there, and I'm so sorry that I did. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments.com Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. So right now I'm going to go into what the prosecution is claiming is Alex's new story that he has now been saying as to be the truth of what happened the night of June 7th. So on June 7th, Alec claimed that he was out at work before getting to the Moselle property at 6.45, 7 p.m. And remember, again, this was the day that he was confronted about the stealing of the money. So he gets to Moselle at around 6.45, and Paul follows him there shortly afterwards. Once Paul arrives, Alec and Paul get into the truck and start driving around the property looking for some hog signs. After riding around for some time, Maggie ended up getting to the property, and that is when Alec left Paul and went back to the main house at 8 p.m. and took a shower. After taking the shower, Alec said he went back into the living room where Paul and Maggie both were and they were eating dinner and they all had dinner together. 
Alec said that this night seemed just as normal as any other night and that Maggie and him were having conversations because Maggie was worried about Paul. Paul apparently had very high blood pressure and his feet were beginning to swell up. And according to Alec, Maggie became very concerned about him and was expressing those concerns to Alec. It was after dinner when Alec claimed that Maggie and Paul went down to the kennels. According to Alec, he said that Maggie had asked him to come with them. However, Alec was very hesitant about going down there because it was hot outside and he wanted to be in the air conditioning. He had just taken a shower and he didn't want to go down to the kennels because he knew that there was going to be work that needed to be done and he wanted to avoid it. However, Alec ultimately changed his mind shortly Shortly after Maggie and Paul left to go down to the kennels, Alec grabbed the golf cart, which was by the main house, and drove down to the kennels using the golf cart. And according to Alec, that took him about several minutes. Alec said that the reason that he changed his mind about going down to the kennels is because he ultimately just wanted to keep Maggie happy. And if Maggie asked him to do something, he was going to do it. Now, down at the kennels of the property, there were several dogs. There were the family's dogs, the Murdoch family's dogs, and Paul was also watching one of his friend's dogs named Cash. So you had multiple dogs down at the kennels, and the kennels is where the dogs would sleep. It's where the dogs would stay. And there was also a chicken coop nearby the kennels. And according to Alec, he said that when he got down to the kennels, one of those dogs had a chicken in its mouth. So to set up the visual for you, Alec claims he pulled up to the kennels and he said that he stayed inside of the golf cart. However, he said that when one of the dogs had the chicken, the dog came walking towards him and so he stepped out of the golf cart to get the chicken out of its mouth and then place the chicken back in the coop, which according to Alec, he said all took no more than about 30 seconds to a minute. Alec said that once he put the chicken back in the coop, he did not want to be down at the kennels any longer. He wanted to go back to the air conditioning. And so he claims he got back into the golf cart, said bye to Paul and Maggie before driving back up to the main house. Now, the interaction of the dog getting the chicken and Alec getting the chicken out of the dog's mouth, that was the audio that was being played in the background of the Snapchat video that Paul had taken at 8.45 p.m. So if we're looking at that timeline and the amount of time it would have taken Alec to get there, get the chicken, and then go back to the main house. If we're looking at that timeline, that means, according to Alec, that he got back to the main house at approximately 8.49 p.m. And again, the medical examiner claimed that both Paul and Maggie were shot at about 8.50 p.m. So that would basically mean that the exact moment that Alec returned back to the main house, Paul and Maggie were shot and Alec just claimed that he didn't hear it. Now, once Alec returned back to the main house, he said he walked in and laid down on the couch and he dozed off for a few short seconds. So now the length of his nap has changed. Remember earlier, he said that he took about an hour long nap. This time he said it was a few short seconds before he decided to get up and go and visit his mom. Now, Alec did say that while he was gathering his belongings to get ready to go and visit his mom, he thought that he had heard someone outside and and assumed that it was just Maggie and Paul returning back to the house. However, he just didn't really pay much attention to it and he got into his car and drove off. 
Now, the prosecution during this trial has really gotten on to Alec's case when it comes to why he didn't swing by the kennels to say goodbye to Maggie and Paul before he left to go to his mom's. We're going to run through the phone records in a minute, and you're going to see that Alec made multiple attempts to call Maggie in the minutes leading up to him leaving to go see his mom's. So from the prosecution standpoint, they have been challenging Alec on why he decided not to just swing by. It would have taken him one minute to go over to the kennels, say bye to Paul and Maggie, when he had clearly been trying to get a hold of them because he had been calling them. And Alec really didn't have an explanation for this. He just claimed that he didn't see the need to go all the way down to the kennels and that he was going to be back anyways. So there was no dire need to go down there. Why didn't you just take that quick little left 1,100 yards away and stop by? See why they didn't answer the call. You're obviously wanting to get in touch with them. Why didn't you go down to the kennels that were so close by? There was no reason to. I mean, Maggie... Making multiple missed calls to Maggie, and she's so close. And there's a driveway right there. Why do you not just go down there and say, hey, guys, I'm heading over there? It, it wasn't important to do that. Me... Me making those phone calls is simply me letting, I believe I called Maggie and I believe call, I called Paul, but that, that, that's simply me just letting them know that I'm leaving for a minute, I'll be back. The fact that, that they don't answer is not unusual at all. Now, it is odd, it is unusual that they never call me back, um, and, but, but at that moment, the fact that there's a missed call when, when I know they're on the property, I mean, that doesn't even register a, at all. I, I, that, that's perfectly normal to try to call somebody who's on the property and not be able to get them. So now let's talk about the phone calls and the text messages and the timeline for that in the hours leading up to the murders. Now, on his way to the Moselle property at 6.43 p.m., Alec called Maggie, and they spoke for about 104 seconds. Alec called Maggie again shortly after this. However, this time she does not answer. At 6.52 p.m., Alec called Maggie's father, Terry Brandstetter, and that conversation lasted for about 412 seconds seconds. At 6.53 p.m., Paul Murdoch calls one of his friends, John Marvin, and the phone call lasts for approximately two minutes. Then at 7 p.m., Paul sends a text to another one of his friends named C.B., asking if he would be coming over to the house the following day. Paul arrived to the Moselle property at around 7.04 p.m. that day, and Paul had phone activity all the way up until 8.48 and 59 seconds. I am going to get very specific and detailed when it comes to these times. I am going to be including seconds in here. So when I say 8.48.59, it's 8.48 p.m. and 59 seconds. So almost 8.49 p.m. on the dot, which again, looking at the timeline that Alec gave, that is the exact moment he claims that he went back to the main house. Now, the last activity from Maggie's phone was when she read a text message at 8.49.27 p.m. However, she did not respond to this message. Eight seconds later, at 8.49.35, Paul's friend Rogan Gibson sent Paul a text. However, Paul never opened that message either. 
Following 8.49 p.m., Maggie had multiple missed calls and messages from Alec as well as Buster and Alec's brother, John. However, they all went unanswered. Now, between the time frame of 8.09 p.m. and 9.02 p.m., there were zero steps recorded on Alec's phone. If you don't know, if you have an iPhone, there is a health app in the iPhone that will track your steps throughout the day, and it'll go into detail about the times that you were active and walking and times that you were idle. And if your phone isn't tracking steps, it doesn't mean that you weren't walking. It just means that if you were walking, you didn't have your cell phone on. On you. Now, interestingly enough, though, Maggie's cell phone tracked 59 steps being taken between 8.53 and 8.55. And again, this is several minutes after it is believed that Maggie had already been shot. Now, police said that these 59 steps were more than likely not made from Maggie and that someone was just holding Maggie's phone. Now, Maggie's phone actually wasn't found until the following day on June 8th, and it had been found about a quarter mile away from the Moselle property thrown on the side of the road. Now, during these four minutes, according to Alec, he was in the main house, he got up, he got his belongings together, walked out to the car, and then went off to see his mom. However, during those four minutes, his phone tracked that he made 283 steps. And to make 283 steps, you definitely have to be, you know, moving around a little bit, pacing, things like that. Now, the prosecution has really honed in on these 283 steps because that seems like too many steps for someone who just got up off the couch, grabbed their keys, got in the car, and drove away. And the reason that this is so crucial and important is because this is around the same time frame that the medical examiner concluded that the murders occurred at. Because the prosecution's theory is basically stating that Alec murdered Maggie and Paul at 8.50 p.m. He returned back to the main house, picked up his phone, and made the 283 steps because he was scurrying around the house trying to get everything together before he got into his car and went to his mom's. So the prosecution is theorizing that Alec intentionally left his phone at the main house during the time period of 8.09 and 9.02, and they believe he did that in order to manufacture an alibi. And according to Alec, he has tried to come up with a reason for this. He has said that it's possible that he went into his bedroom or he went into the kitchen or into the gun room or something of that nature, which could be the reason that those steps are on there. Agree with me that from 9.02 to 9.06, your phone finally comes to life and starts showing a lot of steps. I do agree with that. What were you doing? I was getting ready to go to my mom's house. Getting ready to go? I thought you took a shower already. You were just laying down on the couch. What, what all you need to do to get ready to go to your mom's house? I mean, there wasn't anything to get ready in, in that aspect, wasn't but anything to get ready. I was, was getting it? ready to go. I was preparing to leave. So doing what? I don't know if I got up, uh, went to the bathroom. I don't know. I can't tell you exactly what I was doing. And that's far more steps in a shorter time period than, than any time prior, as you've seen from the testimony in this case. So what, what were you so busy doing? That's Going to the bathroom? No, I don't, I don't think that I Did you get on a treadmill? went to the bathroom. No, I didn't get on the treadmill. Jog in place? No, nope, I didn't jog didn't in place. Jacks? No, sir, I did not do jumping jacks. What were you doing, Mr. Murdoch, for those four months? 
preparing to leave for my mom's house. What? What does that mean? I mean, you're in the front room on that couch where you say you laid down. The Suburban's just right outside. What all are you doing? I don't know if I got up and went to my room, went to the gun room, went back in that. Doing what? You've been so clear in your new story about everything. What, what were you doing during these four minutes? I disagree with your assertion about every detail. I don't recall. I know that I was getting up and I was leaving. I was going to check on my mom. But specifically what I was doing, I don't, I, I don't know. Okay. I know what I wasn't doing, Mr. Waters, and what I wasn't doing is doing anything uh, as I believe you've implied that I was cleaning off or washing off or washing off guns or putting guns in a raincoat. And I can promise you that I wasn't doing any of that. Now, between the time frame of 9.02 and 9.06 p.m., Alec had also made several phone calls on his phone, which the prosecution has accused him again of doing in order to try to manufacture an alibi. real reason, Mr. Murdoch, is that... You as a lawyer and prosecutor are up at 9.02, finally having your phone in your hand, moving around and making all these phone calls to manufacture an alibi. Is that not true? That's absolutely incorrect. So that's just another circumstance and coincidence in this particular case. Right around the time that you lied to law enforcement about maybe one of the most important facts in the case before the question. It is an absolute fact that I am not manufacturing an alibi, as you say. How do you remember so much detail about everything else, but you don't remember what you were specifically doing to generate 283 steps while you're making these, all these phone calls in the same four-minute period? I remember unequivocally, without any doubt, with as clear a mind as I could have at any time that I never manufactured any alibi in any way, shape, or form because I did not and would not hurt my wife and my child. So as you can tell by those clips, it is very clear that the prosecution is really honing in on this tight time frame and stating that it doesn't really make a lot of sense for Alec to just be pacing around for 283 steps coincidentally after he didn't have his phone on him for an hour when he claims he was just getting in his car and going over to his mom's. It's a lot of steps for someone to be taking. And if you're someone who tracks your steps, if you're someone who pays attention to that, you know that 283 steps is a decent amount of steps to be taking, especially for someone who claims to just be grabbing their keys, wallet, phone, and heading to the car. It doesn't typically take 283 steps. Now at 9.08.58 p.m., Alec sent a text message while he was on the way to his mom's house, claiming that he was going to go visit his mother. The text said, quote, going to check on him. Be right back. Now, Alec arrived at his mom's house at about 9.22 p.m. that night. During that time, he was driving to his mom's house. Alec made several other phone calls, including one to his brother and one to Buster, his eldest son. At 9.24 p.m., Alec calls the landline of his mom's house and asks the caretaker to let him into the home. 
Alec only stays there for a little over 20 minutes before returning back to his car at 9.42 p.m. that night. And by 9.43, the GPS on his car notes that he left his mom's house and began driving back to the Moselle property. Alec turned on to Moselle Road at 10 p.m. He walked into the main house, looked around for Maggie and Paul, and realized that they were not there. This is when Alec claimed he got back into the car and drove down to the kennels where he had last seen them, and that is when he drove up to the horrifying scene of his wife and son laying dead on the ground. Alec claimed that he arrived down at the kennels at about 10.05 p.m., and by 10.07, he was on the phone with 911, and I am going to play that clip right now. Okay, you said 4147 Moselle Road and Allison? Yes, sir. 4147 Moselle Road. Stay on the line with me, okay? Yes, sir. Stay on the line with me, okay? Get up to it now. It's bad. So that is Alex's 911 call that he made. And I'm also going to play you right now Alex's testimony of finding Paul and Maggie. I pulled up. And I saw Maggie and Paul. I jumped out of that car. I know that I went back to my car and I called 911 as quickly as I could. That point in time, when I got on the phone, then is when I went to them and did the things that I did. So, what you're saying is not accurate. Now, what we also know is that from 9.04 to 10.03, Alec made five phone calls to Maggie on June 7th. He again texted her at 9.47 p.m., which he claims would be the time that he was driving back to the Moselle property from his mom's and said, call me, babe. The final phone call Alec made to Maggie was at 10.03 p.m., which would have been minutes before he would discover their bodies. Now, something that I also want to point out here is that when the investigators got a hold of Alec's phone in September of 2021, which was several months after the murders, there were a substantial amount of phone calls that were strangely just missing from Alec's call log from the night of the murders that he made to Maggie. And they could figure this out because when looking at Alec's call log and then looking at Maggie's call log, Maggie had the phone calls on her phone, but Alec didn't. So it was clear to investigators that Alec had gone in and deleted these phone calls for whatever reason. Now, as you guys could hear on the 911 call, Alec made a point to say that Paul had been getting harassed and bullied and had been getting threats, essentially. And at first, Alec said that the reason he felt like someone killed Paul and Maggie was due to the boat 
accident that happened. Alec has stated and been very clear that he doesn't feel like anyone who was involved in the boating accident is responsible for Maggie and Paul's deaths or any of their family members. However, he truthfully believes that whoever did this to Maggie and Paul was a bystander who read about this in the news and decided to take action against Paul and Maggie. And I'm going to play you that audio clip right now. I believe that when Paul was charged criminally, there were so many leaks, half truths, half reports, half statements, partial information, misrepresentations of Paul that ended up in the media all the time. And when I tell you the social media response that came from that was vile, the things that were said about what they would do to Papa, they were so over the top that nobody would believe anybody would get on social media and do that. But I believe then and I believe today. Five o'clock still work for you that or is that too early? The wrong person. The wrong person saw and read that. Because I can tell you for a fact that the person or people who did what I saw on June the 7th, they hated Paul Murdoch and they had anger in their heart. And that is the only only reason that somebody could be mad at Paul Paul like that and hate him like that. Now, another big point of contention that I want to touch on right now is the clothes that Alec was wearing on the night of the murders. During this trial, the Murdoch's housekeeper named Blanca took the stand. At the time of the murders, Blanca had worked for the Murdochs for a little over 10 years at that point. She knew this family inside and out, and she was very, very close to them. According to Blanca, she said that on the morning of the 8th, she received a phone call from Alec explaining what had happened. She then rushed over to Alec's mother's house, which is where he was at the time. And when Blanca had arrived and spoke with Alec, she said that he was very emotional and asked her to go to the Moselle property and clean it the way Maggie liked it. He said that he wanted it to be clean because there was probably going to be a lot of people coming by to pay their respects. According to Blanca, she said that she then went from Alec's mother's house to the Moselle property, and there were a couple things that she noticed that stood out to her. First off, the leftovers from the night before were already put in the refrigerator, which was incredibly odd because typically the Murdochs would leave dinner on the stove and everything would still be out from the night before and Blanca would always put it away. Secondly, she said that Maggie's pajamas were folded neatly near a doorway, which was incredibly unusual. She said that there was a towel next to Alec and Maggie's shower that she picked up, and it had a small puddle of water near the shower, and there was also a pair of khaki pants on the floor, which she watched. Now, you would think that this house is a crime scene. You would think the entire property is a crime scene and should be taped off 
off. Everything should be taped and no one should be allowed in except for law enforcement. However, law enforcement was at the house at the time that Blanca was cleaning. And according to her, she said no one asked her any questions. The police didn't tell her to stop. So she just continued with cleaning the home. Now, again, as far as the clothing goes, there is a Snapchat video that Paul had taken on his phone just hours before the killings. The video itself, which is, by the way, different than the other video, the video of Paul in the kennels, this is a totally different video. And this video, which again was about an hour or two before the murders, Paul is videotaping Alec, and Alec is seen wearing a seafoam green shirt. Now, the reason that this has stood out to so many people is because when police arrived to the home that night, Alec was wearing a white t-shirt and khaki shorts. So this was a de- so this was a totally different shirt than what police saw him wearing. And according to Blanca, she said that after the night of the murders, she never saw that seafoam green shirt again. And to this day, no one knows where that shirt is. So the reason that this is important is because the prosecution and many people are theorizing that if Alec committed these murders, that he would have possibly been wearing that green seafoam shirt. It could have gun residue on it. It could have blood on it. And now that shirt is just missing and no one seems to know where it went. Now, the second bit of information here that's important to talk about is this blue rain jacket. About three months after the murders, police found an oversized blue rain jacket at Alec's mom's house. And according to his mom's caretaker, who Alec saw the night of the murders, this caretaker said that she saw Alec carry in this blue rain jacket nine days following the murders. She claimed that she initially thought it was a blue tarp, and when the jacket was tested, there was a substantial amount of gunpowder residue on the jacket that was consistent with either wrapping the gun up in the jacket, or it would have been the same as if someone was wearing the jacket inside out and then shot the gun. So now you have this jacket that has gunpowder residue on it, and you have this missing shirt that Alec was clearly wearing on the night of the murders that mysteriously enough, no one could ever find. Now, the defense has really tried to say that this rain jacket is just a stretch, like this is a reach. You know, how can we say that Alec was wearing this rain jacket on the night of the murders? This was a family that hunted very regularly and just, you know, and would go out and shoot guns in the backyard for So it's not strange or unusual that a piece of their clothing would have gunpowder residue on it. Now, while Blanca was on the stand, she also explained that several months prior to the murders, Maggie and Blanca had a very private conversation where Maggie confided in Blanca when telling her that it was possible that the Murdochs were going to have to pay a $30 million lawsuit for the death of Mallory Beach. According to Blanca, Maggie said that the Murdochs don't have that kind of money and it was putting a lot of stress on the family. Maggie also told Blanca in this conversation that Alec does not tell her everything and that he has a lot of secrets. So that was the basis of what Blanca spoke about when she was on the stand. Now, something else I want to point out is that the defense brought onto the stand a forensic engineer named Mike Stutton, and he was there to testify about the bullet trajectories. 
Now, according to Mike, he said that based on the trajectories of the shots that killed Paul and Maggie, Alec would have been too tall to be the person who made these shots. Mike said that he believes this shooter had to be around five foot two to five foot four. Now, a lot of people believe that this is absolutely ridiculous because Alec could have very easily gotten on one knee. He could have been bending down. There are countless different reasons that could have explained this, but this is the audio clip of him talking about that. That's five foot two. Um, how tall? The shooter's five, how tall? Five foot two. Could be someone a little taller crouching down a little bit? Could be. Five three, five four? Yes. So between five two and five four? Yes. The shooter. Because what happens if, let's say, if you put a five four person even, or five five, five six, um, in kind of that shooting position from the hip, you've got to move them all the way up to the quail pen. And it doesn't make any sense there because there's no shell casings. And it starts to not make any sense. Why would a person stand right in front of the quail pen a few feet away and shoot into it? So Alec and Maggie's eldest son, Buster, has also taken the stand during this trial. While on the stand, Buster talked about how Paul was pretty reckless when it came to his guns. Now, as we know, it's no surprise that the Murdochs are a big gun family and they would be gifted with guns, including the blackout gun, which was one of the murder weapons. Both Paul and Buster were both gifted individual blackouts. However, Paul lost his. And according to Buster, this was something that happened pretty regularly. He was known to lose things, misplace things. He would put his gun in one place and then forget where it was the next day. So this was very common. So when Paul lost his gun, it wasn't unusual. Now, something else that was brought up in Buster's testimony was the fact that Alec made a phone call to Buster at 9.10.47 p.m. on the night of June 7th. According to Buster, he said the phone call was very normal. It lasted about 60 seconds, and it was just Buster and Alec catching up and Alec saying that he was going to go visit his mom. Now, again, this phone call lasted about 60 seconds, and then Buster claimed the second phone call he received from his dad that night was the phone call where Alec told Buster that his mom and brother had been killed. According to Buster, he answered the phone for Alec. Alec asked Buster if he was sitting down before breaking the news to him. After Buster had learned what had happened, Buster and his girlfriend Brooklyn packed up some bags and drove the four hours to the Moselle property, arriving there at about 2 a.m., now, at the time, Buster was at his Rock Hill apartment, which again was about four hours away. So he again didn't get there until about 2 a.m. And according to Buster, he said that when he arrived at Moselle, he walked in through the door and his dad was a complete emotional wreck. He said that Alec was crying and was distraught. And when you got there, um, did you see your dad? Yes, sir. What kind of condition was he in? What was his demeanor? Yeah, his demeanor was, I mean, he was destroyed. He was heartbroken. I walked in the door and saw him and um, gave him a hug and just, just broken down. Could he speak? Not really. Was he crying? Yes, sir. Who, who else was in the house? Do you remember? Yeah. Um, my girlfriend, Brooklyn, and I got there. My out in the driveway, my Uncle Randy and Uncle John were out there. 
Chris Wilson and, and Corey Fleming had just gotten there. They had pulled in behind us, and when I walked in, um, several of the partners were there. Ronnie Crosby was there. Lee Cope was there. Mark Ball was there. Um, Austin Crosby was there. William Barnes. Uh, my buddy Nolan was there. Buster claims that they stayed at the house until about 4 or 5 a.m. before going to his grandma's property, which would be Alex's mom's house, where they stayed for the remainder of the day. Buster claims they did go back to Moselle later in that afternoon, and they were pretty much just going back and forth between Moselle and his grandmother's house. Hello, everyone. Sorry for the abrupt interruption, but I could not complete this episode without giving you the final update that we have in this case. The last I spoke to you guys was on the 27th of February, and since then, there have been some major updates in this case, and the trial has since reached a verdict that I wanted to go over with you before wrapping this episode up. So as we've spoken about thus far, the prosecution in this case really set up the scene to try and convict Alec Murdoch guilty of the murders of Maggie and Paul. And again, the prosecution stated that the motivation behind the killings was to distract from his financial misleadings in his law firm, as well as to gain sympathy. Over the course of this trial, over 60 witnesses were called to the stand. The murder weapons have never been discovered to this day, and the most damning piece of evidence throughout this whole case was the Snapchat video that Paul Murdoch took on his phone that captured Alex's voice just minutes before the murders occurred. The defense, on the other hand, tried to maintain Alex's innocence by stating that he was a loving husband and father, and they even had Buster, the eldest son, take the stand in defense of his father. The defense tried to argue that it wasn't believable that Alec would be able to commit these murders, dispose of the evidence, and drive to his mother house, all within less than an hour. At the very end of this trial, on Wednesday, the 1st of March, the jury was taken to the crime scene, the Murdoch's Moselle property. The Moselle property was purchased by the Murdoch's in 2012. It is a 1,770-acre property that was perfect for the Murdoch's because there was everything they could ever ask for. A beautiful main home that stood at about 5,275 square feet, kennels for the dogs, a cabin, and endless acres of land for the family to go hunting, which was something they thoroughly enjoyed doing. The jury arrived at the property at around 9.40 a.m. on Wednesday, March 1st, and stayed there for less than an hour, leaving at 10.30 a.m. The following day, on Thursday, March 2nd, it was time for the jury to deliberate. At the end of it all, this was a six-week trial, and the jury deliberated for less than three hours before coming to the verdict that Alec Murdoch was guilty of the murders of his wife, Maggie, and his son, Paul. He was also found guilty of two counts of possession of a weapon during the commission of a violent crime. His sentencing occurred the following day on the 3rd when he walked into the courtroom in a tan jumpsuit and while in the sentencing he told the judge, quote, I would never hurt my wife Maggie and I would never hurt my son Paul Paul, end quote. Regardless, the judge, Judge Clifton Newman, handed the sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole for each murder. And that is the verdict of this case. Alec Murdoch will remain in prison for the remainder of his life over these murders, and for the most part, I have seen everyone overjoyed by this verdict. People truly are believing that Alec is responsible for these murders. However, I also have seen some people who are not completely convinced. But regardless, that 
is the verdict and i'm very interested to see what you guys have to say about this i'm interested to see if you believe that the verdict was the right one if you were on the jury what would you think about this case so please let me know in the comments below and with that being said you guys that is all for me today thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of killer instinct if you're new here hi my name is savannah and i'm your host of killer instinct again make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button that way you never miss an episode we post weekly on the podcast every wednesday and you're not going to want to miss it i'll be back next week with a brand new case for you guys and until then stay safe bye guys